Good morning, everyone. It is great to see more and more of our church family joining us this week, and each week for that matter. And if this is your first time back, welcome. It is great to see you this morning. And for those listening to us online, please know that we haven't forgotten about you. You are missed, and we pray that you are well. As for our fathers here this morning, gentlemen, good mor- or happy Father's Day. Now, I realize that if Ricardo and I were really, really good, he would have preached his sermons on fathers bringing up their children in the, dis- in the discipline and instruction of the Lord this week instead of last week. But alas, we are most definitely not that good. However, fathers, if you need to be convicted and encouraged by the Word of God concerning your call as fathers, then let me recommend you go back and listen to Ricardo's faithful exposition and exhortation of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 from last week. As I can promise you, it will serve you well. But again, to the fathers here this morning, happy Father's Day. As for our text this morning... We will be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, which is the third and final installment of what theologians call the house codes of Ephesians. And you may be sitting there thinking, what are you talking about, Wes? And I want you to remember back to two weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, we talked about this relational dynamic between that of husbands and wives and that spirit-filled husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and that spirit-filled wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. And last week in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, we talked about the relational dynamic between that of children and parents, especially that of fathers, and that spirit-filled fathers are to instruct their children in the Lord, whereas children are to obey their parents in the Lord. But today we note a relational dynamic that we might not be overly familiar with. As Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9, we will discuss the relational dynamic between that of spirit-filled bondservants and their spirit-filled masters. Which takes us to our thesis statement this morning, or the overall premise of our sermon this morning. And our thesis statement this morning is this, that Jesus Christ is Lord over bondservants and their masters alike. Therefore, both are to respect and serve each other in a way that glorifies God. Jesus Christ is Lord over bondservants and their masters alike. Therefore, both are to respect and serve each other in a way that glorifies God. And our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Thus, let me highly recommend that you open your Bibles up this morning and follow along with the text. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. The Apostle Paul, he writes, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, 
knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus Christ and his redemptive work on the cross. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Faith Bible Fellowship Church and the opportunity that we can gather here today and worship you, God. Father, we thank you that you are our ultimate master. Thus, all of the work that we do in the here and now Let it stem, Father, from our obedience to you. Father, the way we serve and interact with and commune with and relationship with people or relation with people, let us do so in a way and serve them in a way as if we are serving Christ. Father, I pray for the congregation this morning that their ears be open, their eyes be open, and their hearts be willing to receive this powerful word. And Father, I, help my, I pray that you help my lisping, stammering tongue. Father, help me to communicate the truth of your word this morning, to do it with conviction, to do it boldly, and to do it humbly. Father, you are holy, and let us worship you well this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we get to the main points of our sermon this morning, I thought it was critical to offer some context on the passage today. Because just as our Western minds, when we hear the word submit, for example, like we did in verse 21 a couple weeks ago, that we are submit to submit to one another out of our reverence for Christ, And instantly we think inferior, or we think weaker, or we think less important, and then we read our understanding of that word submit into the text, so too can our Western minds read our perception and understanding of American slavery into today's text concerning Roman bondservants or Roman slaves. And for that reason, Klein Snodgrass, whom I have quoted throughout our study of Ephesians, he did a wonderful job differentiating and explaining what this concept of bondservanthood or slavery looked like during Paul's time within the Roman culture. So here are five contextual points to keep in mind from his research that I think will be really helpful to us in understanding bondservanthood or slavery within the Roman Empire. So first off, number one, slavery within the Roman Empire, it was massive. Some estimate as many as one-third of all people in the Roman Empire were slaves. And unlike American slave trade or American slavery, slavery in the Roman Empire, it was not, not, not based on the color of your skin or your race. Instead, people became slaves due to owing someone a debt or through birth or through captivity of war, or they voluntarily became slaves in order to improve their economic standing, which was possible. How? 
Number three, because there were slaves in just about every profession. Thus, these bond servants could ascend up the economic ladder within their profession. Furthermore, bond servants, number four, could also become educated. They could own property, they could save and manage their own money, and they could buy their own freedom, in which many of them did by the age of 30. But finally, number five, although there were Roman laws put into place to protect bond servants, and although some were loved and treated very well by their families, I do not want to create a false narrative here for you, church. Because many bond servants, many slaves within the Roman Empire, they were abused, they were beaten, and at times even killed at the hands of their masters. So although there were differences between slavery or bond servanthood in Rome during Paul's time and American slavery during the 17th and 18th and 19th centuries, similarly to each was the fact that the master determined the treatment or the overall well-being of their bond servant. Thus, if the master was evil, their bond servant was likely significantly harmed. And it is for that reason that Paul finds it imperative to address this relational dynamic between that of bond servants and their masters, because in this culture, the bond servant master relationship, it was a norm. Which takes us to our first point, and we will begin this morning with bond servants. Point number one, it says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. Point number one, obey your bond servants, obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. Verses five through eight. Which says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So although masters had all the power to treat their bondservants as they wish, Paul still says in verse 5, bondservants, obey your masters. But again, not into sin. Because similar to the call for wives to submit to their husbands and children to obey their parents, as to the Lord, it is also the call for these bond servants, or they do not have to follow their masters into sin. So bond servants, too, are to obey their masters as long as it doesn't cause them to sin. But if the master is asking the bond servant to do something that isn't sinful, the bond servant then is to do it, verse 5, with fear and with trembling. Now, this fear and trembling here, it is not a, I'm so scared of my master that I'm trembling because he has all the power and the kind of ill temperament to hurt me. But what Paul is saying here is, bond servants, obey your masters with respect. Obey your masters with reverence, with submission, with esteem. And verse 5, with sincerity or a sincere heart as you would Christ. Now, please do not miss the weight of this, as you would Christ. 
Because even though these masters had all the power to treat their bondservants as they wished, and even though it would have been natural and fitting and even expected for bondservants to despise and loathe and disobey their masters at every chance they get, especially if they were treated poorly, Paul here says, no, 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 no. Spirit-filled bondservants, instead, obey your master as you would Christ. Obey your master as you would Christ. And I mean, this is a radical call to action for Christian bondservants, and it's similar to that of Peter's in 1 Peter 2, where he says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. And although this may or might sound revolutionary to us, Paul is saying, Christian bondservant, you can do this because the task you do, the service you render, the hardships you endure, no longer is it to be viewed simply as an act of obedience to your earthly master, but now it is to be viewed as obedience to Christ, since we are now, verse 6, bondservants of Jesus Christ. You are now a Christian. You are now a spirit-filled servant with a new heart, a new identity, a new family, and a new master. And in order to display to the world your new birth, that you are not who you once were, your earthly master, obey them as an outpouring of your service to your new eternal master, Jesus Christ. Not, verse 6, by the way of eye service or as people pleasers. And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, Wes, I appreciate the context and the background on bond servants in the Roman Empire. I appreciate Paul's exhortation to these bond servants who are called to serve their masters as an act of their service to Christ. But what exactly does this have to do with me? And how exactly is this applicable outside of me gaining some historical knowledge? And the answer to that is simple, church. As we too are to obey our earthly authorities, verse 6, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers. Now, although we might not have a master that we report to in the same way as these bond servants did, we do all have bosses. We do all have professors and teachers and CEOs or some authority figure that we report to. And we see verse 6 played out all the time, or we ourselves might even play out verse 6, for example. We don't like our boss, so we only work hard when he is around or when his eyes are on us. But when he is not present, we slack off or we surf the internet, or we take extra breaks, or we conduct personal calls during the workday, things we would never do if our boss was actually present or if he had eyes on us. So Paul says here, don't just be a people pleaser. Don't just work hard when your master or your boss is watching you. Don't just do your best or give it your all when your master or boss is observing you. But in whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for man. Colossians three or verse seven here, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Because church, our God, he is always present. He is always watching. Thus, in all you do, church, no matter the task, no matter the boss, no matter the value, all of your work and service is to be done as to the Lord. 
Reverend Dal William Dahlman shared this story about a Greek sculptor who was asked why he wasted so much time on the parts of a statue that no one would ever see. The unbeliever replied, the gods will see. Church, we work for the only God of the universe. And as the KJV puts it, thou, God, seest me. Thus work as ever in your great master's eye. And why is this so important? Why is this such a big deal that we don't goof off on the job or be lazy on the job or take advantage of our boss or our company on the job? Because verse 8, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. David Burgess shared the story of a meat packer who was asked, what is your business? He answered, I am a Christian. Rather puzzled and perplexed over the answer, the inquirer continued, Sir, you evidently did not understand me. I mean, what is your daily business in life? My daily business is to be a Christian. I pack meat to pay the expenses. Church, this too must be our mindset. Because no matter what we do in this life, the day will come when we will meet our Creator. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And church, even though masters during Paul's time might not have rewarded their bondservants for good and faithful and sincere work, even though our bosses today might not reward you for good or faithful or sincere work, even though your professor, your teacher, the government officials, or any other authority might not reward you for good or faithful or sincere work, that does not mean that your work in the here and now, that it is for naught or it is in vain, because you know who does See your work, you know who does notice the way you obey your boss, you know who does recognize your services rendered to others, your heavenly and eternal master, that is who. And yes, church, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been saved. But please understand this, we will also receive what is due for the work that we have done in the body. Thus work heartily, not for man, but as to the Lord. Church, our God, he is always watching whether you are a bondservant or whether you are free, thus commit your actions, your thoughts, and your heart to joyfully work unto him and be blessed in knowing that whatever good you do, verse 8, you will receive back eternally from the Lord. Thus, church, work boldly, work heartily, and joyfully unto the Lord in all that you do, for that is the radical way of the Spirit-filled Christian. Which brings us to point number two. Masters, respect and care for your bondservants as you would the Lord. Masters, respect and care for your bondservants as you would the Lord. Verse 9. It says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. 
Now, before we dive into verse 9, I've heard this argument a lot during my academic studies. And the argument goes like this, that if Paul was so great, then why didn't he make this section a whole lot shorter and just say, Christians, abolish slavery? And since he didn't, isn't Paul just condoning slavery here? And it's a fair question. So my response and others way more scholarly than me respond to the argument this way. That if you read the breadth of Paul's writings, it is clear that he and God vehemently oppose the displacement and the cruel forms of slavery that we are familiar with as Americans and that certainly took place within the Roman Empire. And why do I say that? Well, when Paul says in Galatians 5.14 that the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Church, it is literally impossible to carry out this call and then to force someone into enslavement and then to authoritatively keep them in bondage against their will. Thus, this text and Paul clearly opposes slavery. Or in 1 Timothy 1.10, when Paul says that the law of God condemns the practice of enslaving others, again, this text and Paul clearly opposes slavery. So what is taking place in our text today, and really the past couple weeks in the house code section of Ephesians, is that Paul is noting the current social systems or the rampant relationships that are already in place within the Roman Empire, and then addressing how Christians can glorify God and inject the gospel within the relational systems that they are already a part of. And in doing so, the gospel then will actually transform these systems, or in the case of slavery, begin to erode it and wreck it and ruin it and ultimately destroy it due to the fact that for the Christian there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for we are all one in Christ. Or Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, because we we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are one no matter the social constructs that are in place. You see, church, the gospel, it changes everything. It naturally transforms everything. And as Frank Fieldman observed, he said, the level of sincerity and cooperation that is called to exist between slaves and masters here it would have created an environment where it would have been nearly impossible for slavery to survive. And why is that the case? Because Paul's teaching and the application of the gospel into the social contract of slavery, it makes it impossible for, to survive. Because Paul not only calls bondservants to obey their masters, but he also radically calls masters. Masters who are new creations in Christ. Masters who have been born again. Masters who are one with Christ, just as their bondservants are one with Christ. 2 verse 9, do the same to them. He says, masters, do the same to them. Treat your bondservants in the same way you want them to treat you. Be civil and courteous to them in how you speak. Be respectful of them and their work and their personhood. Be 
considerate and caring of their needs and love them as your brother or sister in Christ who was made in the image of God and who is part of the body of Christ. And in verse 9, he says, stop your threatening of them. Paul says, even if other masters out there threaten or abuse or hurt their bond servants as a way to control them, not you, Christian. You are called to a higher standard, a standard that by no means hurts or threatens or abuses your bond servants. Instead, you are to model and display and showcase your bond servants the love of Jesus Christ just as you would to any other Christian. Why? Verse 9, it says, because he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Jesus Christ is the ultimate master for the Christian. Whether we are a bondservant or whether we are master, Jesus Christ is the ultimate master for the Christian. And there is no partiality with Christ. There is no bias with Christ. There is no prejudice with Christ. There is no discrimination with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ does not play favorites or treat people better or worse based on their job title or their worth. Jesus Christ does not treat people better or worse based on their skin color or their race. Jesus Christ does not treat people better or worse based on their intellect or their power. Why? Because that is not the way of our perfectly just God. As Deuteronomy 10.17 says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. So since the master has no more intrinsic, no more innate, no more inborn value in the eyes of God than the bondservant, because God is not discriminatory or biased toward any of his children, we too then should not discriminate or play favorites in terms of how we relate to or act around or love other people. Because as Christians called to imitate God, we are not to play favorites. Probably my favorite text in all of the scriptures is that of Luke 10. It is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it reads, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and quick context on the Samaritans, the Jews, they did not like the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans, they were Hebrew people who married foreigners or Gentiles, and they were now considered this half-Jew, half-Gentile breed. 
In short, there was beef between the Jews and the Gentiles. They didn't get along, and the Jews and, Gent and, the Jews and Samaritans, excuse me, they didn't get along, and they didn't even deal with each other. And Jesus continues, he says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on him oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is the equivalent of about two days' pay. And he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Brother Christian, sister Christian, there is no partiality with God. Thus as those who are called to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself, there should be no partiality in how we treat and love others. In fact, our love in Christ, it should transcend social standing. It should transcend race. It should transcend socioeconomic standing. It should transcend our political views. And it should transcend whether we are rich or middle class or poor or homeless. And it should lead us to simply loving our neighbor as ourself with no bias, no prejudice, no partiality because our God and whom we are now with he is not partial. Thus be free from these false social hierarchies that say he's important and he's not important or we should treat him well or we shouldn't treat him well and simply render your service, your love and your good wills to others as you would Jesus Christ no matter what society says about them and let the gospel then transform every relationship you are a part of. That is your call in this brother Christian sister. Christian, to let the gospel transform every relationship you are part of without any partiality. And as we close this morning, I'd like to begin first with the non-Christian who is here. Non-Christian, if you have listened to any of our sermons over the past month, you have heard a call for all Christians uh, to submit to each other out of our reverence for Christ. You have heard the call for wives to submit to their husbands. You have heard the call for children to obey their parents in the Lord. And you have heard the call today for bondservants to obey their earthly masters. And yet Paul, under the supernatural inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't even blink in asking or encouraging or calling Christian of all, Christians of all kinds to the act of submission. But why? How? How can Paul be so sweeping, so dogmatic to Christians with this charge? And why would any non-Christian want to join them in these acts of submission? And it is because the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior, He did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Paul is only calling us to model what our Savior has already done for us. 
which was as God, Jesus Christ, he took on human flesh. He literally broke into this world and lived with his creation as he was born under the law. But unlike his creation, Jesus Christ, he perfectly kept the law. There was no sin, there was no iniquity, there were no transgressions with him. And as a sinless, perfect being, Jesus Christ, he willingly humbled himself and he bore the wrath that we, his children, deserve for our sins. You see, Jesus Christ, he took our place as a substitute and he died on a cross for the sins of his people. But being that he was God, and being that he was without sin, and being that the wrath of God was satisfied by his sacrifice, Jesus Christ, three days later, he rose from the dead for our justification, defeating sin and defeating death eternally for all who believe. Non-Christian Jesus Christ, he laid down his life for his sheep, for his children. Thus, if you want to be a child of the Most High God, then let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin, that you turn from your sin, and you trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price of your sin, the only one who can clothe you in his righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. Take the yoke of Jesus upon you as he is gentle and humble, and in him you will find rest for your souls. Let today be the name, day, non-Christian, that you trust in Christ, you take his yoke, and I can promise you, you will find salvation and eternal rest for your souls now and forevermore. And now to the Christian that is here this morning. Brother Christian, sister Christian, as you read through the passage today, you can't help but notice how our minds and our thoughts, and our motivations, and our actions are to look vastly different from the world because of our identity in Jesus Christ. I mean, we are to work and are to render our services as if we are serving Jesus Christ. When we interact with others, we are to respect and serve them in the same way we would Jesus Christ. But how can we make this a practice? How can we make this a natural practice in our lives? Christian, remember and meditate and cling to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It says, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace and who has made us both one in the flesh and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. These verses, church, they should impact every relationship we have. Why? Because Christ mercifully reconciled our relationship with the God of the universe and with his people through his work on the cross. Therefore, you want to model the ways of Christ? Then display the mercy of Christ with those you come into contact with. You want to display the mercy of Christ? Then do it with those you work with. You want to 
display the mercy of Christ. In fact, do it in all of your relationships and don't show even an ounce of partiality, but instead be merciful to everyone just as your God was merciful with you. And church, the world will know by your radical and merciful ways that you are filled with, that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Thus it is my pray, prayer that we leave here today understanding that there are no first class or second class or third class Christians with God. All of us, no matter where we come from, no matter what jobs we have, no matter how much money is in our bank account, we are now one with God by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can now work as to the Lord. So, Lord, help us to see the authorities we work for in the here and now as wonderful opportunities to serve you, Lord, as our ultimate and eternal master. For, furthermore, as we work with and interact with and commune with people of all different tongues, from all different backgrounds and races and ethnicities, Lord, help us to not play favorites. God, you play no favorites with your children, thus neither should we. Let us simply see everyone as an image bearer and give us a heart and a desire to love our neighbor as ourself, as a way to worship you, God. Church, the gospel, it transforms social constructs, it transforms relationship, and it transformed the world. Therefore, Lord, help us to live out this gospel truth in our lives, being kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. Lord, we thank you that we can come together this morning as a church body and be sharpened by your word. Father, people from all different towns, from all different occupations, all different ethnicities and races, Lord, we can come together because by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are one. There's no partiality, no favorites, no first or second or third class citizens in your kingdom. Father, help us to keep that truth in our minds and let it impact all that we do and the way we work for our superiors and the way we love our brothers and sisters that we see at work and the way we love all of our neighbors. All that we do, Father, whether we work, whether we interact, whether we commune, it is all gospel work, and you are always watching. Thus, let us be motivated to glorify you with every word and every action we do. Let them all be committed to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.